0: Okay, if you could uh, keep your Bibles open to uh, Colossians chapter one. We'll just do a short series of three talks on uh, spiritual health according to Colossians. But uh, let's let's pray before we look at it. Uh, Father, we come to you now in our weakness and. Sometimes our confusion and perplexity at the nature of this world and our place in it, please uh, continue to give us wisdom and spiritual insight as we look at your word now in Jesus' name. Uh, In this area I have a friend who in some ways is a stereotypical farmer. He's a big tough guy but he's also a gentle Christian man and like many farmers, he has an aversion to getting medical treatment. Because of that, he now walks with a slight limp because he didn't get a fractured ankle looked at. He was complaining to one of his friends recently that these sorts of problems are catching up with him. And he For those who know tractors, you'll know the back wheels of tractors are about 1.4 metres in diameter... And very heavy, he used to be able to lift one onto the back of a truck. But now we can only get it this high. (laughs) His dad recently died of bowel cancer and he was having some medical issues and reluctantly went to the doctor and had to have some blood tests and that. And one test he had to have was for prostate cancer. So a nurse came in and put the glove on and said, you need to get your trousers off. And he said, why? (laughs) And she explained the procedure and and she said, I need to do this test. And he just said, no you don't. (laughs) (laughs) And he walked out and got a taxi all the way back to the farm. (laughs) In one sense, this is a funny story about a typical farmer. In another sense, it was quite foolish of him. Because... If you catch disease early, it's much easier to treat and manage. The longer you leave it, the more irreparable damage is done. So when you turn 40 now, the government will throw money at you to get preemptive health checks because prevention is much better than cure. And it's really not too different with our spiritual health. If we don't don't continue to assess our relationship to Christ and think about what it means to be truly spiritual, we could be spiritually diseased and not be doing anything about it. But of course, straight away we have a difficulty because the word spiritual these days is very slippery and difficult to define. But fortunately the context gives us a good idea what the Bible means by the word spiritual. So just we'll summarise a bit of Colossians 1 and then focus in on uh, a few verses. In In the first eight verses we can see that in the city of Colossae some people came to faith through a man called Epaphras who had previously heard the gospel from Paul And Paul has heard that these people have genuine uh, faith because he's heard about their actions of love and hope concerning God's saving purposes for them. They've become so transformed by the gospel that the reputation of their transformation has spread. And so Paul's confident they've really embraced the Lord Jesus Christ and his message. But like in any church where there are lots of new believers or the Gospels penetrating a new part of the world, it's it's rife with uh, the potential for false teaching because what tends to happen when the Gospel comes to new people or a new place is that they're then tempted to mix that with what they previously firmly believed or understood And that's how a lot of false teaching happens. People try to mix the gospel with other things from the surrounding culture. So in Colossians, these other things that people are tempted to mix the gospel with include Jewish law-keeping, the prevailing human ideologies or philosophies of the day, And various other religious experiences that were common in that region. And we'll see that next time that we look at this. But in verses 9 to 14, Paul prays for these new believers. And in verse 9 he prays, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So we can see here that to have spiritual insight is to know what God wants, to know what he said and therefore know how he wants us to live in response to that. And in verse 15 onwards we can see that this all comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So in verses 15 to 20 what we'll see is why truly true spirituality is connected to Jesus Christ alone. So what Paul does in verses 15 to 20 is talk about the Lord Jesus and his supremacy over everything. It's likely in these verses that Paul has slightly modified an existing popular Christian song that was used in the early church. And look at how meaty this song is. <laughs> and what it causes us to focus on as a bit of an aside this is why we it's important isn't it that we listen to songs that are theologically sound because whether we like it or not many people get their understanding of the gospel and of God from songs so there are many good options and some not so good ones <laughs> why listen to stuff that is wrong Or listen to the same type of music all the time that gives the wrong emphasis. This is a great example of a meaty Christian song. And the first part of this song continues from the previous passage and begins with the words, who is? Which is referenced back to verse 13 where Christ is described as the beloved son. Paul has just prayed that these people would grow in their knowledge of God and their understanding of spiritual things. And so now Paul talks about Jesus, who is the means by which we come to know these things, which we come to know God. And he starts by talking about Jesus' relationship to creation. And so it's not too surprising that he borrows the language of Genesis And he says straight away, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. An image is something that represents something else by being like the thing that it represents. So Adam and Eve were created or made in the image of God to represent God by ruling the earth in the manner that God rules. And so human beings were made with some godlike capacities so we could do that. But there's an important difference with the creation account in Genesis and what Colossians says. In Genesis, Adam was created or made in the image of God. Here, Jesus is the image of God. So Adam was made to represent God Jesus, by his very nature, represents God. He is the image of God, the ultimate representation of God. Which means if you want to see exactly what God is like, then we can see that in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the image of God in an ultimate sense. No one can see God because he is invisible to us, he is spirit. But the perfect image or representation of God is in Christ. To see Jesus is to see God. Then it says that He is the firstborn of all creation. And for those of you that have encountered JWs, they like this verse because they say what it means He was the first one created. And in the Old Testament, firstborn, while meaning the one born first, has a much greater dimension of meaning, which is the most important one or the one who will receive all that belongs to the Father. It's it's a legal concept. And that's the idea here. Jesus is the most prominent one. He is supreme over all creation, the one who will inherit everything. And verse 16 elaborates on this. It says, in him all things were created. Then goes on a bit later, all things were created through him and for him. So there are three slightly different ways of talking about Jesus' relationship to creation. Firstly, the idea in verse 16 of all things being created literally in Christ is that everything was made to have Christ at the centre. The world makes no sense without Christ. And not only that, but it was made through him, which means Jesus was the one who physically made it. And thirdly, it was made for Jesus. It is on this earth that God will manifest his supreme glory in the person of Christ. It was made for Jesus. He will inherit it. It belongs to him. It was made for him. So this is in quite a bit of contrast to what our culture believes, isn't it? So there are advertisements on TV now that say the most important person in the world is you. You deserve this or you need that to be truly human, to truly embrace life. But this is the voice of the serpent repeating what he said to our original parents in the garden, you will be like God. You will be at the centre of the universe. You should live for yourself and your own glory. But you are not the most important person. I'm not the most important person. Jesus is the most important person in the universe and we ought to live for his glory. I heard from someone recently who knows about the law of land ownership in Australia. And one of the biggest misconceptions people have about buying land is that they think that they own it. But in Australian law, the Queen owns all the land. When you buy land in Australia, what you're doing is you're buying the right... Or the permission to be a steward of that land and build a house on it or farm it. And this stewardship includes the right to sell this stewardship to someone else. But you don't own it. It doesn't physically belong to you. And this is a good illustration of what is being said in this passage. See, we don't own a thing. We don't take anything with us. It doesn't ultimately belong to us. See, we are given stewardship, temporary stewardship. We are given responsibility to manage this world on behalf of Christ, to whom it really belongs, to whom it was made for. Whose glory it displays. And the reason Paul is teaching these things to the Colossians are the same sorts of reasons we need to meditate on these truths. See, it's 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 stupid to elevate created things to the status of God, to be so attracted to this world that we fail to see the Creator. This world is only a shadow of the much greater glory of the one who made it. It also reminds us to keep our relationship to this world or creation in proper perspective. This world does not belong to us, is certainly not made for us to worship. The right way to live in this world is to live for his glory to treat what we have stewardship over in such a way that we honour the one who made it and the purposes for which he made it. And the reason Paul emphasises in verse 16 that everything was made in regard to Christ, that is, made to have Christ at the centre, even the spiritual powers and kingdoms of this world is because even these things were created by him and for him. So people shouldn't worship these things or seek help in such places because they belong in the same category as the rest of creation. It is just as pointless to worship angels or spiritual powers as it is to worship a tree or a stone or elevate money and pleasure to some sort of ultimate goal. They're all pointless things. Also, some people seem to have the idea that the battle between God and all that opposes him is some sort of evenly balanced contest that could go either way. Or that if bad things happen, God has lost control for a while and he needs to regain it. But all the forces of this world are ultimately answerable to the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing happens in this world without it first passing over his desk. And because this is a hymn or a song, there is a bit of a bridge before the next verse. And the bridge or chorus goes from verses 17 and first part of 18. So Jesus is before creation, meaning he was there before creation was. Everything now holds together because of him and he is the head of the body, the church. Now this last phrase seems to come from nowhere and seems unrelated to Jesus' relationship to creation. But what we must understand here, and in the way the apostles are teaching us, is that the church... Is fundamental to God's purposes for creation and to establish a new creation. See, of course, we need to understand this. We need to remember that the word church in the New Testament doesn't mean what it's come to mean in modern usage. In the New Testament, the word just means a gathering of people, it never means an institution or a building. The emphasis is on God's people as they meet together. And this is a big theme in the Bible. We start the Bible with a man and a woman in the garden and end the Bible with all God's people gathered together in the New Jerusalem. Sometimes we can be discouraged about church. But the church is the gathering of God's people. This is God's ultimate purpose. It is about God's people meeting together to submit to the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the emphasis here is not join a church and the quest for spiritual fulfilment will be satisfied. The emphasis is be connected to Jesus who is all these things that we've just expressed and that, of course, will connect you with the rest of God's people which is church. But the mistake people make is thinking they'll find their deepest longings and spiritual thirst satisfied in the church or by the church. But that will never happen. These things are only in Jesus. The importance of church, and it is important, is that all those who recognise Jesus as their head are meeting together. Please don't make this mistake. The reason church can be discouraging and disappointing sometimes is because you're in it. (laughs) And I'm in it. And we're sinners. But Jesus will never be disappointing. Jesus will always be better than you think or imagine. So please don't make the mistake of confusing joining a church with knowing and being personally connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Coming to church doesn't make us spiritual. Knowing Jesus makes us spiritual. Then Paul goes on, verses 18 to 20, to talk about Jesus and redemption or salvation. The assumption here, of course, is that rebellion has occurred in the creation and now needs reconciling. And uh, we've probably all know enough about that not to have to talk about it too much. This world is alienated. It's alienating in many ways. And so the first verse of this song in verse 15, Jesus is the firstborn of creation, Now in the second part of verse 18, he is the firstborn from the dead. So Jesus is not only the one who is supreme over what he made, he is supreme in the way that he brings about our salvation. And over the resurrected life, he is the supreme head over the new creation. So what is happening in the world now is that God is working to make known Christ's supremacy because the day is coming when who Jesus is will be fully revealed before the whole universe. And verses 19 to 20 continue to talk about this supremacy. Verse 19 is probably best interpreted, God in all his fullness was pleased to dwell in Christ. Just as the glory of God dwelled in the temple in the Old Testament, now the full expression of God and his glory dwells in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this language of fullness is very important because the potential problem in the church Paul is writing to and it has been the problem throughout the history of the church is people always want to add something to Christ. And we'll see later on in Colossians that could be Jewish law-keeping, it could be focus on spiritual beings or some addition of human ideology and philosophy. But we need to take note that if all that God is dwells in Christ, then where will you get more? Where will you find more of God if the fullness of God is in Christ? Fullness of spiritual experience or being connected to God is in Jesus. So pursue him. Don't get sucked into sidelines or fads. Seek the Lord Jesus Christ because all that God is, all that God has for his people is in him. And this is seen in verse 20. It's through Christ and his death on a cross that peace will not just come to humanity but the whole creation which is reeling under the effects of sin. So Paul has just described Christ and his glory as the fullness of God himself and then in verse 21 the first words are and you, plural. So what does all this mean for you? Well, firstly, Paul reminds these people of their situation before they knew the Lord Jesus. They were alienated. They were estranged. They were hostile in mind. They were doing evil deeds. And this is us also before coming to Christ. This is a description of an unspiritual person, of someone who does not know the Lord Jesus. See, and many people now, of course, want to dumb down this idea, don't they? This is one of the first doctrines that people try to dilute or get rid of. But if we want to get a handle on the truth and what it means to be truly spiritual, we must face the fact that by nature we were wicked and hostile towards our Creator. Only then can we see the enormity of what God has done in Christ. Contrary to the completely wrong misconception of modern opinion, God is not like a benevolent grandfather, sort of naive and gentle and his grandchildren can do no wrong God is fierce in his holiness, in his holy reaction to our rebellion and idolatry. God is extremely angry with what, as sinners, we've done to this world. And this is where verse 22 is going. His death reconciles us to God That we can stand blameless before Him. See, the death of Jesus is not just about the mercy of God. It's about the judgment of God on Jesus in our place. If you want a clear picture of what God thinks about your sin, look at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in verse 23, being blameless before God depends on one thing. These people must do one thing. To be reconciled to God and be able to stand blameless before him, they must continue trusting in Jesus. See, it's not brain surgery, is it? You begin the Christian life by trusting in Jesus, you continue the Christian life by trusting in Jesus and you finish the Christian life by trusting in Jesus. Don't be moved from the gospel. Don't build on the shifting sand of new fads and side issues. Spirituality is not a technique that you learn. It's a person that you know keep your feet well and truly planted on the rock of Jesus Christ. And we don't have time to look at it in depth, but the basic idea of verses 24 to 29 is that Jesus himself was willing to suffer as the suffering Messiah to bring about our reconciliation and our blamelessness before God. Now the apostles suffer... To bring this message of a suffering Messiah to other people. And Paul gladly suffers to do that. That all nations might know this glorious message. Paul's desire is to see those who trust in Christ become mature in him. And he's so passionate about that. He will then give his own life that that happens. And that's what ministry is. (laughs) To see people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and become mature in him. And this will involve hardship and suffering and persecution because by nature people are alienated and hostile towards God and they don't like their sinfulness exposed. See, we want to define spirituality on our own terms, which is inevitably idolatrous. So the issue of spiritual health that is raised in this passage is simply about our connection to Christ. We need to avoid faddish things, technique-based approaches to spirituality It's about trusting in the Lord Jesus and becoming mature in him. You can't get more of God than what is in Christ because in Christ is the fullness of God. To be spiritual is to know Jesus. Also this truth means that without Christ at the centre it is impossible to make sense of this world. Life has no purpose or goal without Jesus at the centre. It just becomes ongoing randomness. Suffering has no resolution if not understood in view of Jesus, suffering, death and resurrection. So of course for us this passage means keep Christ at the centre of our life. If Christ is all that is described here, where else will you go? If Christ is not the centre of our life, then what is and what ultimate purpose does it have? See, Jesus isn't some guru among many. He is the fullness of God in bodily form who deals with our sinful hostility towards our Creator. So, take your spiritual pulse. Check your spiritual blood pressure. Measure your spiritual health. And check carefully where the gospel and mainstream culture differ on what it means to be spiritual. And make sure you're not confusing them. In our culture, spirituality is something like a hobby or a novel experience to try. But of course, that doesn't work if Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form. Let me uh, pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its clarity. We thank you for this extraordinary description of the nature and role of the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who made everything and for whom everything was made. Help us to have a a proper perspective on our life in this world and may we be those who uh, understand true spirituality, that is by trusting in your glorious Son in whom your fullness dwells. May we not be those who seek faddish things and technique-based things, but may we be those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, who continue to trust in him and are becoming mature in him. Uh, Continue to cause us to meditate carefully on these things and to be those who get rid of idols from our life. We pray this in the name of Jesus and for his sake and glory. Amen.